Good afternoon, everybody. It's Christian Thwaites of Brown Janikowski. Thanks for joining us today for our July uh, market update. Um, so as we, as we, before we start this, um, just thinking about the investment returns that we've had so far, it's been really an outstanding uh, beginning of the year, uh, first half of the year in most of the markets. The um, Most of the large indexes are up between about 16, 17%. Um, the, the, the sort of the big outstanding ones are uh, growth, which continues to do quite well. Uh, the energy sector is up 38%. So it's been, um, despite the worry about, you know, COVID and then the vaccine rollout and then the opening um, and, you know, the kind of trips we've had along the way, the, the, the stock markets and more recently the bond markets have really not faltered at all. And even on the international side, they're not quite as good as the U.S. numbers. Europe is up about 11%. International, the, you know, the big index, which covers all of the big international markets, so Europe, Japan, uh, some in Asia, about 9%. And it's only really emerging markets, which is the laggard that had a tremendous run in the fourth quarter of last year, but it hasn't been able to sustain it into the, into the new year. But anyway, so, so here we are with a quite, a, quite a strong equity market and very decent returns behind, behind us. And hopefully ahead of us as well. So the topic today is, um, you know, is growth slowing? And we're going to spend a little bit of time again on this inflation debate, only because today we had some CPI numbers, which if we'd had them a couple of years ago, would have really stopped the market dead in its tracks. Um, they were sort of way ahead of what most people thought and expected. But I think there's, some, uh, there's a lot of uh, influences going on from the rebound of an essentially closed economy. And you've probably heard all about this debate. We've covered it in the blogs between is it transitory? Is it permanent? We've obviously got uh, people on, on, having kind of fairly extreme views on that, like, you know, all the way to it don't matter. It doesn't matter. Everything will be, you know, back to normal soon, uh, all the way to sort of slightly more historical commentary, which is uh, that this is the onset of a big inflationary era. And I sort of don't believe that one either. And I think the truth is, as always, somewhere in the middle. Um, but anyway, let's go through that to talk about where we are with the growth. <clears throat> first, just a couple of quick points up front. I'd say, you know, first of all, that, you know, COVID is not over. We, we're open here in Marin. We've got one of the highest vaccination rates uh, in the, uh, in, for a county in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the country. Vermont has the highest state vaccination rate. Uh, but they're not overseas. There's certainly not, you know, I think 20, 25% in places like Germany, France, Italy, compared to uh, our number, which is, which is uh, more like 60%. Um, the, uh, uh, and also there's a big disparity, as many of you know, between the different states. So the most popular states, Texas, Pennsylvania, New York, and California, which are roughly 50% of the US population have pretty high vaccination rates. Texas probably a little bit lower than the other three. Uh, but in some of the other states, particularly uh, sort of in the lower Midwest, um, um, sorry, uh, central part of America, um, the vaccination rates are, are, are pretty low. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not over. It's the worst is, of course, over. That's great. But, um, but it's certainly not something we can say is, you know, definitely and permanently behind us. Consumer is coming back. Um, the uh, retail sales numbers and all that, all measures of the consumer confidence are pretty good. I think it's going to show up in services. There's only so many. We've talked about this before. So many, so many, you know, new cars, bigger TVs, more computers, computer power, more, you know, things to 
work and fix around the house um, that, that can be spent on and the, and the, and the pickup's going to be in services. But, um, you know, services is, is going to, it won't rebound in quite the same way as the goods economy, just because you can't go out and have five haircuts to make up for the fact that you missed four in a row. Um, and it's the same with hotels and it's the same with lodging and airlines and all those kind of service economies. So it will come up. The next kind of rebound is the expectation of service. And we've already seen some of that around, but it, it won't be the kind of snap V-shaped recovery that you saw on the good side. Um, interesting that the fiscal expansion is really has sidelined. I mean, a couple of months ago, we were discussing it yesterday. Uh, this was all the talk. We had the COVID relief bill that got through. There was another big stimulus bill. Uh, there was, of course, the famous infrastructure bill. Um, but it's kind of become sidelined. I think something's going to come out and one is going to come through with some Republican support. And then there's the other one, which will be uh, uh, just passed on a, on a simple majority. And these are big numbers, but they don't seem to be... Uh, you know, worrying the market yet in terms of inflation or, or asking for more uh, compensation in the form of higher rates. And it just seems like some of the political momentum has been lost a bit on this. So I might be, I might be wrong on this. Uh, you know, it'd be a difficult thing to gauge. Sometimes they can come back fairly quickly, but there seems to be a big gap between some of these stimulus bills. You know, Bernie Sanders yesterday was on the Senate Finance Committee talking about a $6 trillion stimulus package. Well, I can safely say that I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, and what the number is, and whether they get through it, get 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 it through by reconciliation, which is going to get everyone angry, or whether they kind of get get through something with on the stimulus side, which uh, has a has a broader appeal, remains to be seen. But kind of one of the sticking points is going to be, you know, taxes and the size of it. But anyway, I think we can definitely say the fiscal expansion from the last twelve months, spilling over into the, f the first and second quarters this year, is probably you know peaked, um, and uh, there'll be kind of less you'll have a less impact on the economy for the next uh, 18 months or so. Employment, this is the critical one, because as you know, we lost 22 million jobs. We've made up about oh, 15, 16 million of them, but there's still a large number of people who were working in February uh, 2020 and are not today. Um, what we're looking at is the participation rate, uh, labor participation rates, kind of a difficult uh, statistic to, um, to track sometimes, but we do know this, that Participation in the 25 to 34 age group and the over 55 was 56 million people out of a workforce of about 130 million, depending on whether you take the household survey or the employee survey. Um, but it's now 51 million. And that, that age group is not insignificant. That's the group which has probably got childcare issues with the over 55s, obviously representing the grandparent issues. So this childcare and lack of school openings has been a real problem. And I think, you know, a lot of it means that that, that participation, which has dropped off very quickly, because remember when these people are asked by the BLS, the Bureau of Labor Services, are you looking for a job? And they say, no, the conversation ends there. They go, go down as not in the workforce. They, never, they don't say, well, are you thinking of going back when you can find, you know, suitable childcare or home care or healthcare uh, for you know, people that, that need, need, uh, need help at home. So uh, they're, they're kind of marked out of the workforce and looks like they've just disappeared, but they haven't. I think they're going to start you know, coming back, um, especially as the schools reopen. You might have to wait till September for that to fully, fully be seen. So the, Ju the June jobs numbers were good. They were 850,000. Know, we've had, since the beginning of the year, two outstanding numbers, i.e. better than 700. 
two not so great below 300 and two somewhere in the middle. Um, so it's not been a steady up uh, uh, increase, but it does seem to be moving the right way, as is claims. And claims, again, have been distorted a lot by seasonals and uh, difficult year-on-year -year comparisons. And right now we're going through the uh, closing of the auto plants, which puts a lot of people into temporary claim status. But definitely the claims uh, are now hovering in the 370,000 range. Um, and, you know, at the beginning of the year, there were seven, 800,000. And of course, last year they were considerably higher than that. So they are uh, improving. The Fed is still very much on data watch. Um, they adjusted their growth assumptions upward in the summary of economic um, uh, projections, which they which they did in uh, in June, I think. Yeah, June. Um, and so they're you know they're seeing that the growth is picking up, uh, inflation is picking up. They still think it's temporary. Um, there is this talk of of having uh, a couple of Fed funds rate increases, which are essentially zero today, uh, up to 50 to 75 basis points, which, which would imply two to three increases by the end of 2022. But these are just averages of what everyone thinks. They're not meant, they're not sort of a, a body of thought. They're just 12 individuals ask what you think, what do you think it's gonna be? So they've been, they've not been terribly accurate in the past, nor have they been a particularly good guide to what, what Fed is going to do just kind of an idea that they they think well you know within about eighteen months from today the Fed funds rate should be a little bit higher. Interestingly, although they they marked up their growth estimates for the year, uh, their long term growth estimates were unchanged and they you know rather dispiriting actually they talked about this being a two percent economy. Uh, back over the long term, but maybe they didn't give a lot of thought to that particular projection. But, um, but they're, they're confirmed that they're watching inflation. I think this is why we had the big bond rally recently. You know, people thought, well, they maybe they don't care about inflation or they're just gonna let it run for longer or they're gonna use this average inflation marker, which would imply that they'd let inflation run at three to 4% for quite some time to make the average closer to two. Uh, but I don't think that's, that, that has eased off a little bit and uh, they are talking about some tapering. Tapering in this context just means that they've been buying $120 billion worth of securities every month, uh, and they will taper that off. It, you know, whether it goes to 110 or 100 or 90 is not really uh, material at this point, but they are going to sort of, you know, at some point think about buying less. So that's kind of where we are. Um, you know, generally things are improving across the board. The Fed, which some people thought was getting a bit wayward and a bit uh, inflation negligent is uh, is not. Uh, and so the, the markets over the last uh, month or so have been pretty robust. Let's just kind of go back to the uh, COVID cases. And uh, again, this is where we were in January. So things had peaked. This is only from September, it probably peaked uh, earlier than that back last summer. Uh, but obviously this was the scare coming into the uh, new administration. And then since then, it's obviously gone all the way down. And here we are right down at the bottom with everybody else. Um, you know, this is um, it's difficult to see at this level, but it's like, you know, 5,000 seven day rolling average of cases per, sorry, five per 100,000. So I don't know what that is in the US, probably like 10, 15,000, but a way, a lot, a way down from its peak. So, you know, this is, this is good, good improvements all around here, slight upticks in, uh, in France um, and the European Union. Um, for uh, probably just as more people sort of get out and there's a bit more travel. United Kingdom one is interesting. <laughs> this is the Delta variant. Um, and this has, uh, this, has, this is quite interesting. I just came back from the UK 
And they were getting very worried about this. Uh, and here are some numbers. So the Delta variant is, uh, this is the percent of cases which are Delta variants. So in the US, and if the US here is about half the cases right now, but look at these guys, they're up at the 99, 100%. So this new uh, variant, even though you've got a very strongly vaccinated uh, population in the UK, uh, the number of cases which have switched to Delta variant is, is, is incredibly high. Um, this, this is the difference though. Um, it's led to more cases. You can see the swing up here. This is the UK, but it's probably true in the US as well for variant uh, for, for the Delta variant. Uh, this is the number of cases that spiked up. But you know, luckily, thank God, vaccine and everything else, the, the cases and fatalities is almost flatlined. So what that means is that the the, the COVID Delta variant is hitting people, but it's tending to hit the younger people who are unvaccinated. And so they have less comorbidity and probably uh, with some herd immunity or maybe some vaccinations, they could have a less extreme case of COVID, which obviously makes sense because if they had an extreme one, the hospitalization rates would be going up. So yeah, it's it, this isn't, you know, as Boris Johnson right now, as I wouldn't be too, too uh, you know, too confident about this, too happy about this, but it does tell you that, you know, the uh, it, it's a slightly less severe form. And I think that's the, that's the, um, that, that's the case we're in now. I think uh, I read that the Delta variant has a infection rate. I'm not, maybe not using the right term, but it has a potential to affect people up to, up to six people, whereas the regular COVID is like 2.1. And obviously you want to get it below one. Uh, so this is, you know, that's why I kind of say that in the COVID, isn't over. And I think some of the uh, recent um, concerns about the market, especially the general economy is global economy is that, you know, we might be dealing with these types of outbursts from time to time. Um, this is the, uh, the US population. Uh, this is obviously uh, pretty good 38% of the population, you know, in these four states. Uh, we've got 160 million people vaccinated out of a population of about 320 and is 60% of the population over 18. Um, the little tick up here in Florida was, uh, I, I think, almost, well, we know that it was all unvaccinated cases. And I suspect, although they're not really terribly open with the numbers, they don't show by county. So you'd expect some counties to, like Dade and so on to have uh, a little bit higher um, infection rates because of the uh, because of the opening up of the economy and more people merge, you know coming together and more people traveling to Florida I mean it's obviously a big vacation spot um, so that little uptick there when I say little it's you know it's almost doubled from about you know eight cases to about 16 cases again per hundred thousand um, but it does seem to be you know somewhat containable the rest of these big states are, are in pretty good shape I haven't put Pennsylvania in here but it's but it's up there as well down there as well Okay, so just kind of switching our attention to the economy, uh, we had one of the biggest, it's very rare to get a, a drop in nominal GDP. This is the uh, green line. You get drops in real GDP, and of course that's called a recession. You know, the, the might fall by a little bit down here, 73.23%, something like that. Another one in 0709 was a big one, of course, uh, and here but you very rarely get drops in nominal GDP. And guess what? We've had two of them in the last 15 years. I mean, you, I think the last one before that was in 1932 or something. So it's, uh, you know, we, we, we've, we've 
we've but we've recovered. So we had this big drop in nominal GDP. So nominal GDP is just before you apply the um, inflation uh, factor. And so the U.S. runs an economy which is right here, twenty-two trillion dollars, and it was um, about twenty-one and a half before COVID hit. And on an annualized basis, it went down to nineteen. So it did two and a half trillion dollars disappeared from the economy on an annualized basis? About six hundred billion dollars of spending stopped just like that. And that's showing up in the uh, real GDP numbers here as well. But the good news is we're back above where we were in the uh, in, in nominal GDP. And that's definitely a landmark. And there's not many countries can say that. Uh, I checked with Germany the other day, and they're certainly not there. And nor is Japan, just because Japan's had years of deflation. So their nominal GDP is going to take forever to get back to uh, what it was uh, pre <laughs> even 10 years ago. Um, but th so this is so the U.S. is sort of in the vanguard here of being able to show that the increase in nominal GDP is is back now above trend. Now, if you've taken this trend, you know, we had just taken this line up and extended it. So just like simple, you know, not, not perhaps not totally honest, but simple mathematics. Just said, OK, if we just continued on this tr track, we would be in like 23, 24 trillion. Uh, so we've definitely lost some momentum that's showing up here in the real GDP numbers. But I expect that uh, maybe in the second quarter, which will come out in another four weeks or another three weeks or so, uh, maybe less than that. But, you know, we'll see that the real GDP number is above what it was before COVID. So we're kind of back. That's that's good, you know, sort of lumbering below. The, uh, the GDP numbers have been revised, you know, up and then down and now and now down. Um, so this Last quarter, we got a straightforward print of 6.4%. That's the blue column. That's done and dusted. That's, you know, sort of in the in the locker at this point. Um, the second quarter estimates are a 7.9%. Now, they were as high as 10% a year ago, but I think there are some, some, there's some uh, um, economic indicators, indicate, in numbers which came out of the last month or two, which have caused that to be revised down. The Atlanta GDP is just tracking a number of reports and updating the GDP expectations, you know, probably about twice a week, hence the now phrase. It's literally telling you what's going on. <clears throat> this is for the second quarter, not for the third quarter, which we're in now. But anyway, growth has, you know, leveled off uh, a little bit from what people expected um, a month ago. But if, if we're back to 8%, it'll then slow off, you know, let's say it's 8% for the second quarter, it'll start, you know, clicking along at four for the third quarter. And maybe three. I mean, I don't want to get too precise about these numbers. They're, you know, very, very, very big dollar, billion, non trillion dollar numbers. And you can, you know, a couple of billion, you can be off a percent or two. But, uh, but I do think, you know, what we're seeing is um, a little bit less growth than we thought uh, a month or two ago, but still pretty strong. Now, <laughs> the inflation numbers. So I just, I just made this chart. You can probably tell it's not very pretty. I apologize for it. But the inflation numbers, uh, uh, came in today and uh, you know uh, uh, we, we and probably everybody else was saying okay we knew back in February that the inflation numbers if the opening was on course that we thought it was would start to tick up just because you know the, the so-called base effects you know last uh, you know May June July you know things obviously had collapsed so uh, there was full-on de deflation in a number of uh, you know especially COVID related economies it, it, parts of the sector. I mean, your Apple iPhone wouldn't cost any less because it's not really affected, nor would your Zoom call or your Netflix subscription. But but things that were dependent on you being out of the house, you know, took a big hit. 
So, um, so we knew that just going into these two or three months, we'd get this base effect working against us. And we've got a couple other things as well. But anyway, these are the, these are the ones. And so <laughs> there's a month increase and yearly increase. So used cars, uh, you know, as um, I think we mentioned before, the rental car companies, especially Hertz, who's bankrupt, uh, sold off its fleet last year. And then, uh, you know, so it was a rental car company with, um, with probably 10% of the cars that it had uh, in the prior uh, six months. Um, and then uh, the demand for, you know, for, for these rental cars came, came back. And so the, uh, the, the used car prices shot up. Now, I don't particularly get concerned about used car prices because it's, it's a finite number of used cars out there. Uh, I mean, if, if new car prices were going up, that would be a, a more uh, a, a more worrisome concern, especially if you saw 10 and 45%. That means that the manufacturers were, you know, were, were thinking about and able to get big price increases on new cars. But used cars are slightly different. If you need a used car, uh, as some of you might need it, you might have been in this situation, especially you know, if, if uh, a spouse is returning to work or you know, a child's reading a certain age, you need another car. Um, but also a lot of people, as we've discussed before, you know, are not able to use um, public transportation as much as they used to. A lot of public transportation, buses, trains, those kind of things are, you know, are operating way below the capacity they used to. So there was this big demand for used cars, as well as the rental car companies coming back and saying, oops, we haven't got enough cars to, to, to rent. So, so the increase there was, was huge. Transportation generally, that kind of, you know, is, is everything um, in you know, uh, trucks and buses and, um, and, and airlines as well. That's, uh, that's kind of come back to so a yearly increase there. Gasoline, big one a year ago is when we saw gas prices, oil prices certainly floating around the $10, $12 route. And I think recently they're up to more like 70, 75. So that's been, you know, a straight pass through into, uh, into gasoline prices. Lodging is a little bit more muted. I thought that would be higher. Uh, but, you know, these are again, hotels, motels, things like that, which uh, where the increase uh, has snapped back quite a bit recently. It's up 7% last month. This is for the uh, June numbers um, and 15% and, uh, up a year ago. Food away, I would have expected to increase more. I think because obviously the restaurants closed and then they opened again, they'd be talking about labor shortages, but but the, the food away component has been quite tame. I don't know whether it's going to see an increase soon. I, I suspect not. I don't think that many restaurants can afford to increase their prices very much. Shelter's the big one. This is, shelter is housing. And it's got this weird sort of description with the, uh, with the guys who run the CPI. Um, it's called owner's equivalent rent. But this is, this is 35, 38% uh, of the CPI index. So if this moves, the index moves. And that's up 4% on a year. That's sub somewhat reflecting the increase in house, uh, house prices, uh, not necessarily rents, but the idea is that rents follow house prices. So that's, uh, that's, that's again, a number which we wouldn't have expected a couple of years ago. I, I think it will might dissipate just because the housing market has cooled off quite a bit. Uh, and then finally, um, airlines, I think I might be off on the airlines number. Actually, I think I might have missed a decimal point. <laughs> um, I think the number's up 24% for yeah, it's up 24%. Sorry about that. I put 2.4. But again, that was um, an industry which you know, closed down capacity and is now um, now increasing it. And car rental. There you go. Uh, I've heard some amazing stories about people renting cars in Hawaii. Actually, there was a story about uh, there were a bunch of U-Haul trucks 
um, lined up on the beach uh, in somewhere in one of the Hawaiian islands, might have been the main one, but someone called in and said, what the heck are they doing there? And they found out the U-Haul guys were, were, were renting the U-Haul for, for tourists. <laughs> they didn't need the capacity for the truck. They just needed a set of wheels. Um, and so they were renting out the, you know, something which would normally be used for moving furniture and stuff, you know, as just a car rental company. So that, so that's, that's going on. And uh, yeah, if you kind of Google it, you'll see some horrible stories about um, people being gouged for prices on car rentals and being charged cleaning fees when the, the car wasn't, wasn't, wasn't dirty or, you know, being charged damage fees when there was no damage done to it. So the car rental companies are not above same way as you know the airlines and some of the others is so um uh yeah i think that will begin to stop um here, here are some of them so uh this is what i would call you know inflation uh, covid sector so here's I've kind of taken the index back to where it was in 01 so right now airline fares this uh, sorry this truck car and truck rental has skyrocketed it's 224% higher than it was in 2001. But you can see between, say, 2009 and 2019, there was no movement. You know, the car and truck rental business was just a sort of, yeah, yeah, pretty boring business. Didn't, it wasn't able to put a lot of price increases through. In fact, this says it wasn't able to put any price increases through for, you know, for nearly a decade. So this collapse and then this spring back is probably going to, uh, you know, not, <laughs> not continue. Uh, and then, and then the other one is the uh, you know airlines. So airlines again, if you take this decade, they increase prices and they decrease them, and then massive drop off. But they're not back to where they are. You've just got this big V-shaped bounce from twenty uh, from twenty to twenty one. And I've thrown in uh, you know lodging away from home um, and and the used car numbers. But but my the point about this is yeah, these are all often to the right but they're not going to sustain that way uh, because these aren't industries which are you know are, are able to increase their prices at these sort of rates and they haven't uh, you know typically they've been fairly modest um here's a few more I, I, insurance um you know collapsed last year insurance has not been a great, good business if you're in it but not as you, many of you know your car and auto insurance doesn't, doesn't tend to go down then it was uh, flat for a while then it went off went way down as people say, well, I'm not driving, so I don't need insurance. Uh, and the insurance companies dropped their rates uh, and these have picked up again, but they're kind of back where they are. Lodging we've talked about. Apparel has been coming down and the airlines we've already talked about as well. So these are the kind of sectors which have got big, big moves in them. And I think you can see the connection here is that they're all sort of service industries which, uh, which had a massive drop off in traffic demand uh, and they're reflected in their prices, and now they're coming back. So today's inflation numbers. Uh, well, this is this is the annual number, four point four five. Just this is the core core inflation, excuse me. And this is the monthly number. So you can see, you know, the headlines right now are well. This is the highest inflation rate, uh, monthly inflation rate since uh, nineteen eighty one. True. This is the highest annual rate since uh, nineteen eighty nine. True. And the headline numbers are, you know, would would give the same number. The, the, the press doesn't tend to report this number, they report the headline numbers, but it's gonna be a similar story. But I think, uh, you know, we have to kind of take more than a couple of months worth of data here and sort of, you know, trust the 
fact that, as we saw in those prior examples, these aren't industries which can sustain price increases of those sort of magnitudes. They just would price themselves totally out of the market. Um, so I, I think we've seen spikes like, you know, not as much high as 0.8, but you know, we, we, we not for a while anyway, but uh, uh, I think we just have to see that this is probably going to moderate. It is, it's, this is a very extreme move. Extreme moves tend not to continue. Uh, I mean, whether they revert to the mean, which is a bit of a cliche, I'm not sure, but you know, they can't continue to go like that. Uh, otherwise, uh, there's just going to be, you know, a complete, um, a complete uh, uh, fall off in demand. And I've also taken the PCE numbers. These are the, uh, the blue numbers. So the black numbers are the CPI, which is the, uh, yeah, there you go. That, that's the number I was talking about. The 5.3 is the highest since 2008. The 4.4 is, is uh, you know, for more like 20 years. But this is the number the Fed's looking at, the PCE numbers, the 3.9 and 3.39. And that's definitely higher than what they would target, 2%. But I think my point about putting this is that you've got, you've got a very long period of deflation. And if you stretch this number, this CPI number over you know, many, many years, you know, a century, two centuries, you'll see that the 70s stands out like a sore thumb. It's very unusual to kind of get a periods of sustained you know, inflation, which we had in the 70s for about a decade and a half. So I think the trend is still down uh, or low, I should say, you know, this kind of two to three percent. But we've got to work this out of the system. And this is kind of long way of wind, windy way of saying this is temporary. Temporary, I don't know how long. Uh, not not more than three months, but less than two years. <laughs> um, and probably a lot less than two years. Uh, this is just the manufacturing, and this is this is where the, the manufacturing and service companies are asked the question: what are you seeing about input prices? So if you're a manufacturer and you see that your uh
Am I back? I am very sorry. Yes, you're back, Christian. Thank you. Sorry yeah, yeah. about that, everybody. We yeah. lost him. Don't know what happened. Um, blame it on something. Um, so I was talking about the inflation. Some of the inflation spikes um, uh, are correcting, and this is the big one. You know, the lumber prices, which uh, people were talking about a lot a couple of months ago, and I think we tried to explain that that was somewhat due, almost entirely due to the fact that there were. You know, very skittish house builders um, didn't want to have a lot of inventory. Mills had closed down, or you know, put a lot of workers on furlough, and of course, the uh, Trump import duties didn't help. So this is, you know, but lumber you can bring back pretty quickly, um, and uh, there you can see it. You know, lumber prices were seventeen hundred dollars, and right now they're at seven hundred, which puts them a little bit above. Um, th this is the price per per um, thousand foot board. Um, but, but you can see they've come way down. Um, as are some of the supply issues. We wrote about uh, containers leaving uh, Los Angeles port uh, full versus empty. And there was this big spike back here where there was a, a lot more um, you know, uh, empty containers in LA that needed to be in Shanghai in order to pick up stuff and bring it back. But that's eased off a little bit. So that's, that's a good side. Um, and then you know, the truck and rail, uh, the, the, the trucking association uh, is seeing, uh, you know, tonnage is, 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 I think, beginning to come back. It's just kind of flat for the year on year, year numbers. But that was, you can see the line here is, is coming back quite nicely. And the rail side never really had much of a problem, but they're, they're increasing as well. So I think some of these supply issues are going to start to go away. Um, I think we kind of talked enough about inflation. Um, one of the things that, so I think a lot of it is that, that, um, that a lot of it's temporary, a lot of it's supply oriented. I think that picture is getting better. One big standout has been the housing market, which we've been tracking. Housing market now looks like it's rolling. And we've been saying that for about three months, but you could see it in the new houses, new you know, purchases of new houses and housing starts. And I think what's happening is that suppliers stay behind demand for so many years. Uh, that the, the, the housing market has not kept up with the growth in the working population. It's as simple as that. So prices have rocketed outside of most people's ability to pay for them. And this is the highest, uh, you know, I've ever seen this number. This is asking people, uh, how do you feel about buying? Do you think it's a good time to buy a house? And 54% uh, and said no. So uh, I think what we're going to see is a, is a rollover in the, in the housing prices, which will take a little bit of um, froth out of that market. Uh, we haven't seen many wage increases. These are these are in the leisure and hospitality side: seven percent, six percent for uh, retail trade, six percent for uh, transportation and warehousing. But I have to kind of put these numbers a little bit uh, with some care on them because a lot of people fell out of the labour market uh, a year ago, and the lower paid, even within these industries, um, fell out. So it looked like they had higher higher rates, uh, higher growth rates and I, I think some of that is will settle down this is not an industry neither of these industries none of these industries are really growing are going to be pushing up wages at six seven percent it'll probably settle down into the four and five percent percent um and then the, the other one is the employee cost index so you know average hourly earnings are up as you can see they're all over the place but they're about 3.6 percent but it doesn't necessarily mean that employee costs go up employer costs go up and they haven't now these numbers lag 
a little bit. These, this is from the first quarter. So we're gonna be, I think, looking at the second quarter any day soon, but they're running at 2.7%. And it simply means that if the hourly wages go up, employers might just compensate for that by giving them less hours. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the employer costs go up. And I think we've, this is something we've got to watch, but there's a big, there's a big disparity here. You know, the hourly numbers look like they're going up, but I don't think they are going up nearly as much as they look. And, uh, and the employer costs are looking very moderate indeed. Um, the job numbers have been, uh, after a couple of, as I can mention, a couple of week uh, months are now coming back. Um, the unemployment rate is sort of a little bit artificially low at 6%. And I say that's because um, labor participation is pretty low. But the, the, but the real unemployment rate is close to this, about 9.8. This is the U6 rate, which to ask people, are you unemployed or are you underemployed, you know, not through your own choice? In other words, you've got part-time work or uh, work which you would not paid enough and you would normally work in something else, but you can't find it. So that's really the closest to the number that we're doing, that we're looking at. Um, so there's still you know, a fair amount of job creation to go, but if we click along at six, seven, 800,000 jobs a month for the rest of the year, we'll be in very good shape and the labor market will begin to heal quite a bit. This is the labor participation market, which I've touched on already. This is just the, the, uh, the, uh, the number of people employed uh, as a part of the, uh, of the total total um, population, the population above 18 anyway. So as we mentioned before, labor participation peaked up here. Uh, it's been sort of declining, um, especially amongst women. Um, it then slowly came back in the decade from the 2009, that slow recovery plummeted last year and now it's back up again. I don't think it's gonna go back to 1981 levels. This participation rate is, as I mentioned earlier with the uh, caregiving age brackets, I think uh, more and more people are going to come back into the labor market. And it's also distorted somewhat by young people who um, you know, may not have been able to find summer jobs this time around. And so that they're registered as not being in the workforce. So this will come back. I don't think uh, you know, these people have permanently left the workforce. If they have, then that's a real problem. But I don't think they have. Um, it just seems um, too much of a stretch to believe and given all of the other circumstances which are going on the, the healthcare, childcare, um, and changes in in, uh, in in employment in different industries that people are going to stay permanently outside the, the the labor force so that's going to come back i think with some strength the jobs are out there this is 9.2 million open jobs you can see it's way above uh, even the peak of the 2018 which is more like 7 million it took a long time to climb back up this has come back very quickly. There's roughly about down here about one job for every unemployed person. Now it doesn't necessarily mean they're all in the perfect matches. They might be in the wrong place. They might be in the wrong professions. Might be openings in trucking and and uh, and very few openings in medical care. I don't know. But uh, so there's a. It doesn't obviously mean that you know that everyone can walk into a job tomorrow. But but it does mean I think that the the demand for labour is out there and should stay you know fairly fairly robust. There is a kind of a shift in the power balance though, and I've talked about this in the blog, is that people who really had to take a job, you know, at, at, at almost any level are getting a little bit more bargaining power. The quits rate, this just measures how many people quit their job. And as I mentioned, you don't really quit your job unless you're pretty confident that you can find another job or you're moving or you're retiring. Uh, but 
normally it's the first one that you feel that you can uh, get another job. This peaked up to 3%. And normally this doesn't get anywhere close to that. Um, so I think what's happening is that people are moving out of some of these jobs. And we, you know, I heard a very interesting anecdote yesterday, uh, more than an anecdote, is a guy talking about his whole, his whole company, 25 uh, chains of hotels, and they're trying to finding the people who they used to hire for you know, cleaning and maintenance work and mostly unskilled, you know, move to things like warehousing and trucking, which had, uh, and driving local delivery, which had better hours, better pay. Uh, and they're moving more towards, now the hotel was moving more towards, uh, you know, offering training and uh, offering better hours, you know, shortest three hour shifts so people could move in and out of childcare um, or else, you know, providing them more with tools if they're working in the kitchens sort or of getting them their own, literally talked about giving them their own uh, set of knives. So I think what's happening is that, you know, some of these lower paid jobs, people have found alternatives and things like hotels and restaurants, which we hear about a lot, almost to the exclusion of everything else, are having trouble finding people. But I think they're going to have to moderate. Some, yes, sure, they might offer a little bit more pay, but I think some of them have to change their employment practices as well. Um, because right now, the in the in the lower paid area, there's there's quite a amount of quite a lot of bargaining power amongst uh, amongst people, shown by this quick rate. Now, the bond market has been interesting this year. Uh, we started about 1.7. You can see right now, actually, it's a little bit higher today, but essentially went to 1.36%. So back up here, back in April, May, uh, definitely the bond market was worried about too much growth and too much inflation. Now it seems to have been moderated a lot, and that's sort of borne out in the numbers. The inflation numbers are still there, but I think most people think, well, the growth rate is probably not going to be as high and as rapid and as as accelerating as we thought and that's showing up yeah the job numbers are coming back but they're not coming back you know in a v-shape uh you know, demand for services all the things we talked about hotels and are coming back but they're not coming back you know in a in a super quick way the, the, the supply and capacity strains are still at play so the bond market is uh, is pretty sanguine right now it's sort of saying that well you know maybe but there's not too much to worry about inflation and there's not there's not too worry not too much to worry about you know longer term bottlenecks in, in the growth markets. Um, I'm going to skip over that one. Um, just to quickly talk about the, uh, the, the, uh, the stock market. So earlier in the year, uh, we saw this, this is back from January, we saw this big outperformance of value stocks. This was the idea that the economy would be broad, very broad and fairly deep. And then stocks like stocks, uh, value stocks, which are typically such a shorthand for banks, industrials, energy, another type of oil um, mining related stocks uh, would do very well. And they did. Uh, but I think since then, you can see that value has flattened out quite a bit. And again, it comes back to this. Well, the inflate, the, the treasury number came down, you know, the, 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 the concern about growth ameliorated a little bit, you know, maybe we've sort of seen peak growth, we're not going to be seeing six, 7% quarters, they're going to go down to three, four. So in that case, you know, value has kind of gone sideways and this, this big gap here, if, when this line goes down, it means that value underperforms growth. When it goes up, it's the other way around. So at the beginning of the, in April, we had a big outperformance of value. At the beginning of the year, we had a big outperformance of value, but since about you know, early June, it's been growth all the way. And I think what's happening is that uh, you know, the value stocks uh, are, are getting a little bit you know, maybe expensive or people maybe don't believe they can sustain some of this. Um, and then people are willing to pay for growth. Uh, um, and so they kind of bid up some of the growth stocks recently. Um, 
I would say that this is kind of a, a you know, a, a draw in terms of growth has been here. It's, it's growth has outperformed value recently up here, value outperformed. Over the long term, there's pretty much no contest. Value stocks did well in this extraordinary period in 01. This is just financials. Uh, but normally, green you know, is why we sort of urge a little bit of a growth tilt towards uh, equity portfolios because growth generally has just outperformed value by a very long way. There's times when it doesn't, like in here, uh, and a little bit in here, but generally, you know, having, having the, uh, the growth uh, bias, which we do in our portfolios, pay, pays off. We've also seen some uh, changes here. Again, if uh, the last time we met here was small cap, you know, way ahead, and it still is, but some of these are top, look at this, this is the top five companies, the Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, uh, Google, and Amazon. <laughs> and uh, they've gone from an index level of about 105 to 190, so about, about you know, 12, 13% in a month. So the top five have really taken off the, the growth again. I think this is people looking and saying, with the top five companies, I get good 10, 11% compound growth rates. Uh, and an economy of three or four or perhaps less, that's a very good thing to have. So you know, they've come back into their own. The only other surprises here is that you know, emerging markets have kind of gone sideways. It's mostly a China story. Valuations uh, got a little bit cheaper. This is one of many, many ways you can value the value of the market. You can on P on yields, you can do all sorts of ratios about explaining whether it's cheap or not. None of them are infallible. None of them are, you know, are 100% reliable. Uh, this is sometimes reliable. It's all it does is just take the price earnings ratio and flip it and tells you what a company's earning uh, on its on its assets. You can compare it to a government bond yield. It's earning about 4.5%. <clears throat> and if you take it, so it's earning about a 3.2% premium over the 10 year. That's pretty much it. Got the lower the number, the more expensive the market. The higher number, the cheaper it is. So it's sort of in line here. Uh, there's really not a lot you can grab onto this to say that what we've said before, the market's not, not throwing off any bargains. It's not cheap, uh, but nor is it outrageously uh, you know, expensive as per back here. So anyway, uh, got a quick summary. The reopening you know, on track. Uh, um, I think you know, before I put by July, that's why that's still up there. But uh, but I think it's going to be, um, you know, a, a, a slow and gradual. I mean, not not super slow, but it's not going to you know, snap back super quickly. And, uh, you know, we, we're just here in California reopening um, and you can start seeing things like activity and in travel and, and, and leisure and you know, more cars on the road. Consumers ready to spend, as we mentioned, there's some catch up in spending, especially in services. Uh, the Fed's going to track wages, but there's really not much for them to track right now. Um, so. Because the wages aren't uh, the, the, the wages are kind of a little bit all over the place until they settle down and we see any changes in employment costs. I don't think they're going to get too worried about it. The fiscal expansion is definitely past its peak, regardless of whether you know, these stimulus bills go through. And I don't think they're going to go through in the in the size that some people are talking about. The labor supply is going to come back slowly. Uh, I think you know for now we we like the growth stocks. We haven't gone crazy on growth growth stocks. We haven't got a massive overweighting, but we have tilted the portfolio slightly towards that in the last uh, month or two. Um, I, I think you know as as I said, as the economy goes to a a non six percent seven percent rate, you know four and um, let's say four percent for the for the rest of the year. 
the growth stocks will continue to be quite attractive in that environment. I think the Fed's, um, you know, Fed's signaling every day, <laughs> very, very clearly. They're going to tell us when they're going to stop reinvesting coupons on the uh, balance sheet. Then they're going to tell us when they're going to start tapering. And then they're going to tell us when they increase rates. But we wouldn't look for anything for 2022. So here we are mid-year. I think we're in quite a good position. Um, I, uh, you know, it's, it's been a, a, a very good, good, good ride in terms of the capital markets. Uh, I think it's kind of, you know, steady as you go. And, um, you know, with, with the bond market yielding, well, 1.42% today after the uh, inflation numbers, you know, it's telling us that there isn't too much to worry about on the inflation side, which has been our, you know, our thesis all along. Um, I don't know if we have any uh, questions, Carolyn, is that? Uh... Oh, it looks like um, we have no questions waiting for you. Okay. Well, thanks everybody for uh, listening in. Sorry about the technical glitch um, halfway through. Good recovery, Christian. Good recovery. <laughs> <laughs> um, as always, feel free to email you know, us on the general number or your FA or me at Seathwaite's at B&J Advisors. Um, and I think we're gonna put this, um, this up, on the, up, on the, up on the web if you like to listen to it at a certain time and the slides will be there as well. Yes, it'll be on the website. Okay. Are we ready for the disclaimer? I can read the disclaimers, is that helpful? No, I think I'll just uh, play the recording. Okay, thanks so much everybody. Bye. Bye. Presentation is for general informational purposes only. References to an individual security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell that security. The securities mentioned in this commentary are only several of the successful as well as unsuccessful investments by us and do not represent all the securities we have purchased, sold, or recommended. Although we deem reliable the sources of statistical and other information referred to in this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any statements or numerical data. Past performance is no indication of future results. Thank you.